audio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and if you've been listening to the past few podcasts uh, we've been doing with Dr. Uh, Ali Zakaria, who is a board-certified gastroenterologist and hepatology physician, also trained in advanced interventional endoscopy, got it all out, feel good, uh, and also uh, Dr. Uh, Bayan Al-Shari, who is a hematologist and oncologist at Monument Health Cancer Care Institute. We've had them on a couple of podcasts talking about immunotherapy and interventional uh, endoscopies, but today, very excited to have you both together to talk about what I feel like is one of the most, I don't know, scary cancers I think that you can get. And that is, of course, pancreatic cancer. So doctors, welcome again. Glad to have you back both on the podcast. Thank you so much. You bet. Nice to talk to both of you again. Um, so let's 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 jump right into this because I know that this, um, you know, and I've personally known a couple of people who have gone through pancreatic cancer. Uh, it can be a very scary time because this is a cancer that is hard to detect early on. Is that fair? That is really fair to say, yes. So are there, are there certain risk factors with this cancer uh, that you can address to get this started, doctor? Yeah, that's, that, that is a very, that's an excellent question. And I know that most people will be interested to prevent themselves yeah. from having pancreatic cancer. As you said, pancreatic cancer is usually presented at an advanced stage where it is already kind of at a situation we have difficult time manage or cure. <clears throat> And it is the fourth leading cause of cancer mortality and the second GI cause of mortality in, 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 in our practice or in the USA in general. Um, the risk factor when we advise, you know, we counsel our patients when they come and see us before even they have pancreatic cancer. If you want to really avoid pancreatic cancer, there is two aspects of that. And usually I say that the risk factors are either modifiable, that it's something that you can do to prevent from having. And there is unmodif- or non-modifiable risk factors that unfortunately you have zero control. Just on. genetics, exactly. baby. Okay, exactly. sure. So, for example, the, the modifiable one, which we always say, and I actually in my practice as a gastroenterologist, not particularly for cancer, for any other kind of aspects, I, I ask the question of smoking. Do you smoke? And how much you smoke? And I always counsel my patients that it's time to quit. And when they say I smoke two or three cigarettes, I was like, give it up. Right. You know, two or three cigarettes. I think it's time to just give it up. So smoking was shown to increase your risk than average person who doesn't smoke by 1.5 times. If you want to decrease your risk, just stop smoking. There is absolutely no benefit to smoking ever. It, exactly. it, it is the common Thank thread you. through all of these yep. podcasts. Yep. Smoking is yep. just the worst. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because some people, they will come and say that, oh, there is some you know, particular disease that smoking will be protective. I was like, maybe, yes, true, but I will tell you it's always harmful. And the risk is way outweigh any benefit that someone comes and tells you about. Right. So yeah, smoking is something that definitely can stop. There's certain studies that showed heavy alcohol intake where you take more than you should. For example, the average for a female is three standard drinks, for a male is up to five drinks, standard drinks. And unfortunately, the community, we've seen a lot of, you know, heavy drinking. And I would be sometimes, you know, surprised to ask a patient how much you drink. And he will tell me a lot. I was like, what do you mean by a lot? And they will like, you know, 
a pint or a, a bottle of, of a hard liquor. Right. So that's a lot of alcohol that you can Oof. actually prevent from yourself getting a lot of complications, not just particularly sure. um, pancreatic cancer. And there, is, there was a kind of a link and a bias between alcohol and smoking because in most time they come together. Hand to hand. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So if you can stop one, you should stop both and it be reasonable with the second one. And then other, other things which we see rising is obesity. And, and unfortunately, this is the new pandemic. And mm-hmm. especially in the USA, it's just a disease that we've seen a lot and it comes with a lot of complication. And we link the high body mass index or obesity in general is associated with a higher risk of pancreatic cancer. If you control your weight, you eat healthy, you follow a lifestyle, you exercise, you will decrease your risk of pancreatic cancer. Low physical activity, again, is another kind of factor that we tell about. And there is a link, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, which is the new kid in the block that we have been noticing as physicians, which is impaired glucose tolerance or diabetes or insulin resistance as part of higher risk for pancreatic cancer. And if you have worse diabetes or uncontrolled diabetes, your likelihood, if you have a pancreatic cancer, to be the one that is more aggressive. And also, we actually notice, and I'm going to talk about this in the screening part, is that we've noticed if we get a kind of a population of patients who got pancreatic cancer, and we went back nine or six months before they got the diagnosis, and we looked at their blood glucose level and or their diabetes, we found that they have been having worsening glucose level and worsening or more difficult to control diabetes nine months in advance. So that's when we think that they had the pancreatic cancer. So a new onset diabetes after the age of 50 or worsening diabetes control should be very alarming to the patient and their primary care physician. Something might be happening. Something so might if, be going on. if you have, I mean, if you're worried about that um, at, at any stage or after the age of 50, like you said, I mean, this, you should absolutely get with your primary care doctor yes. to, to, to talk about this. Yes. Just because of this new connection. Yes. And we found that this is one of the most alarming features that we could potentially consider certain imaging studies or certain kind of uh, evaluation to pick up on, um, you know, cancer mm-hmm. or pancreatic cancer early on. And we've seen that in our practice. It's not doesn't mean just to make sure that the population knows that not everyone with diabetes right. or new onset diabetes means that they will have a pancreatic cancer. No, no, the risk is still low. It's less than 5%. But those are the people that we want to kind of talk to your primary because they will ask you more questions. And we talk about the symptoms of presenting with a pancreatic cancer. Right. And if they feel that there's a true link, then it's worth asking for more studies to get you at an early stage to prevent a kind of an ominous outcome. So there is also, um, we know that the guidelines did not um, did not recommend uh, regular screening for anyone who's diabetic. Uh, however, there is a lot of research right now. So we might be um, going to a time or a phase that a diabetic patient will be screened in the, in the future. However, it's not in the regular screening sure. um, for patients. But yeah, this is, there is a lot of research on this and, and this is area that might be changing in the future. And it might be, again, just ask your doctor you know if you're worried about that absolutely i mean because you can request the screening i'm assuming correct i mean you can request it but doesn't mean it's going to happen right we talk about who should get screened because again when we do a screening we want to avoid any harm when we do a procedure or an image or exposure or radiation there is certain people who can fit on the screening process but going back to the risk factors, the last risk factor I, I, I want to mention and, and, and the modifiable one is the chronic pancreatitis or which when you get when your pancreas get chronic scarring and there's multiple reasons for that to happen. And it goes back to the initial things that we said, which is mm-hmm. smoking, 
alcohol, heavy alcohol drinking, and obesity. <clears throat> so those are the modifiable risk factors. And then <clears throat> you will get to the non-modifiable, which is something that unfortunately that you have zero control on, which is your genetics. Right. You are, you know, someone who inherited certain genetic disorders that increase your risk of pancreatic cancer. I think the most one that people are aware of is like the BRCA or the BRCA1 and 2 genes that increase your risk actually of breast cancer, but we found that oh, there is a, a really close link between those PRCA1 and 2 and pancreatic cancer, especially in patients who has a family history of pancreatic cancer. So if you have a breast cancer with a BRCA1 or 2 and a family history of pancreatic cancer, you are at a very increased risk of pancreatic cancer. And you need to be seen for that. Right. Other genetic factors, like we say Lynch syndrome or inherited non-polyposis colorectal cancer genes can increase your risk, again, with family history of pancreatic cancer. The other entity that you don't really have to have a genetic mutation per se, but you might have a lot of family members with a pancreatic cancer. And I've been seeing a lot of these cases referred to my clinic to kind of discuss the need for screening for pancreatic cancer. And they will come and tell me that, oh, a lot of my family had pancreatic cancer. So if you have any patient or a person with a three family members with pancreatic cancer, doesn't matter if they are first or second or third degree relative, that's a, an alarming feature. It that can go that far down the line <clears throat> with it even. Yeah. Second degree relatives like an aunt, an uncle, yeah. a grandparent. You know, those are people that we need to take a look at. Them. Mm -hmm. If you have one first degree relative with pancreatic cancer, your risk will increase by 4.6% or 4.6 times right. that patient with no family history. If you have two first degree relatives, your risk is going to be 6.4. More, it's going to be up to 39 or 32 times the risk right. of average population. So the risk of more family members with a pancreatic cancer can go exponentially. And I usually offer kind of a screening process for those people. If you have a first degree relative who is on his turn has a first degree relative with a pancreatic cancer. To simplify it, if you come and tell me that my father had pancreatic cancer, and his father had pancreatic cancer, you're at a very high yeah, risk right. of getting a pancreatic <laughs> cancer, and we are going to offer you a, a screening program. Okay. So those are the non-modifiable risk factors that we usually say that you, you need to know about them to modify them by right. doing some screening, but unfortunately, you cannot change, change your, your genes. You cannot change your, exactly. your you know, inheritance and family history. You cannot make someone who had a pancreatic cancer in a family not have it. Right. So. So let's say someone comes in uh, feeling unwell, I guess, um, and they haven't gone back to look at any of their family histories about stuff like this. You know, they're just the type of person that's like, ah, I don't I don't need to check into that, but I'm just not feeling good. Uh, what what are, are there symptoms for pancreatic cancer? Are there things that you you should be on the lookout for specifically? Absolutely. And that's how it starts usually when they come into my clinic before they, they see Dr. Sharia's clinic where they need a diagnosis. And we usually, we, 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 I look at patients who comes in with a complaint about GI symptoms in general as a whole. Okay. So tell me what is your symptoms? Because the patient will tell you a story. Our history and physical exam is basically a story. And, 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 and the, the best physicians are people who can actually listen to a story. Right. That's usually people like they really like to go and see their oncologist because they, they're really good at listening to a story. When you go to a proceduralist, we were just focused on was like, how am I going to do a procedure for you? But when they come and tell me the story, it makes sense for me. It depends on where that pancreatic tumor might be because the pancreas is an organ that has multiple segments, I call it. So it can divide it into four parts. We call it the head or the unsinate process, the body and the tail. And if the 
I divide them to, to make it easier if it's a head of the pancreas tumor or a body and tail pancreatic tumor, and the presentation will be significantly different. The head of the pancreas, most people will come in with a painless jaundice. They will look yellow, mm. but they have no pain. They just turned yellow, and they don't understand what they are yellow. Now, and does it mainly is, happen like in the eyes? In the and, eyes, and in the skin, the skin or, okay. or the urine. They will come and, and, and tell you, like, my urine looks like tea color or right. cola color. And my stool looks so pale, like clay color stool. I so see. a clay okay. color stool, tea color urine, eye discoloration, skin looks so pale or yellow. That is, and with no pain, just maybe not feel, feeling uneasy, yeah. feeling tired, fatigued. And, and losing some weight, this is an alarming sign or symptom of something going on, mainly with a pancreatic cancer. Right. And the reason for that, just for people to understand, is that our anatomy entails that the bile duct, which is the duct that drains the liver into the small bowel, happens to pass through the pancreas. So there is an intrapancreatic segment of that bile duct, and when you have a mass in that area, it will obstruct or block that duct, and that's when the yellow dye or the bilirubin that goes through mm -hmm. that bile duct will accumulate in the liver and in the bloodstream and that's when you will turn yellow. On the other hand, when you deal with body tail, the bile duct is not passing through that segment. It's a segment that doesn't deal with the bile, you know, with the with the, with the bile duct, but it will come with the just unease feeling in the mid abdomen, ab you know, abdominal pain, mm -hmm. weight loss, anorexia, which is loss of appetite. And a new onset diabetes, your blood sugar is going all over the place. You're, you're having a hard time controlling your diabetes. So those are the signs and, and, and symptoms of someone who comes in with these feelings. So if, if it, And nowadays, we're actually using CT scan for, for so many reasons. You go to the ER, you're complaining of abdominal pain, you're most likely going to get some kind of images. Right. And a lot of people, they go for absolutely different reasons. Maybe a pre-surgical kind of plan for a hiatal hernia, and then they get a CT scan, oh, well, Sorry, you have a pancreatic mass. So, and it, so that can be seen in the CT scan. Yeah, for sure. it can okay. be seen, and, and unfortunately, the patient might be absolutely asymptomatic, mm -hmm. and they will just found it incidentally for a CT scan that was done for a totally different reason, or someone you know came in with abdominal pain, were not expecting a typical pain for pancreatic neoplasm, and then they get an image, and that will show it. So that's the tricky part of the pancreatic cancer presentation. It can't present like anything else. Sometimes those yellow discoloration, painless jaundice, all of these things can be right. you know, the sign of symptoms. Rarely, there is a few rare entities where you have you know, inflammation in, in multiple superficial veins that comes and goes, and that will be tricky. Most people, they don't understand it, but when they talk to their physicians, they will pick up on that, oh, well, you have a sign and symptom of something that is you know, not normal. Or someone come in with a blood clot out of nowhere. So and any people who develop multiple blood clots with no truly risk factors, like, you know, immobility or surgery or, you know, family history of blood and clotting, malignancy per se is a hypercoagulable state. We'll does, make you get clots. Does pancreatic, does the, does the uh, symptoms of it, is, is it localized? Is that pain localized? There's like some parts of your body where you can be, feel heartburn, but, you know, it's, it's over here or, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. but does it localize better? So most people who comes with a pancreatic pain, they usually come and tell you that I have an epigastric, mid-abdomen, upper abdomen pain okay. that actually radiates to my back. It goes shooting to oh, my back. We, okay. And it feels better when I lean forward. That's the pancreatitis pain. Usually get worse with food. When you eat, it makes it worse because yeah. the pancreas is trying to secrete enzymes to, to digest food. So when you lean forward, that makes the pancreas go away from, or the stomach oh. go away from pushing in the pancreas. So that's the typical pancreatic pain.
Okay. Then how how was it diagnosed? So the diagnosis <laughs> of pancreatic cancer when the, when a patient come and present with those you know signs and symptoms that yeah. have a high suspicion for pancreatic neoplasia or pancreatic tumor, the first thing is an image. So an imaging study, which is a CT scan, right. will tell me if there is a mass or not. And it will tell me how far that mass is. Is it involving blood vessels? Is it, you know, at a point that I cannot remove it surgically or not? And if there is any lymph nodes around it? And if I see that mass, then the next step is going to be confirm the diagnosis. And as, as, as Dr. Rocher is going to confirm in a minute, that tissue is the issue for oncologists. You cannot tell them that there is a pancreatic mass. You need to treat it. If they don't have a histopathology or a tissue that confirmed, they're not going to give you any treatment. Right. So that's where my part comes in to give them that diagnosis. And we do an endoscopic ultrasound, which is a, basically we put patient asleep, and then we go through their mouth with a scope that has an ultrasound. The same as ultrasound that we do from outside, but this is a technology that has the ultrasound on an, a scope or a camera that goes all the way down. I find the pancreas through the stomach, and then I see that mass, and we pass a small needle into that mass and take a sample and send it to the pathologist, and that will confirm the diagnosis. The endoscopic ultrasound in general will give me a lot of information. Basically, it will tell me that there is a mass, how big is that mass, which blood vessels this mass is involving, how many lymph nodes around it, and if there is any few liver lesions that I can see. And then it will give the pathologist sample or tissue to give the, the oncologist a diagnosis right. for that. And they can run a lot of, you know, tumor markers or, sorry, genetic, uh, genetic testing or kind of tumor... M uh, stains to kind of know exactly how they can target their treatment for it. And, uh, and, and on top of that, even in, in, in that incidence, if, if I feel that I, we, we might need radiation therapy, I can actually put a marker for them into that tumor. Oh. That is the area where you need to really radiate. So this is like a new technology that as well I, I introduced, though you can put a marker there and then they can target that treatment. So that's like the process of diagnosis. And mm -hmm. once I get that diagnosis and I get a confirmed pathology, we say that, well, my role here is done, and then you're going to go to your oncologist, and your oncologist will take it farther in doing staging, which which, limit, which stage your pancreatic cancer is. And, and I think Dr. Sherry can talk a little bit more. Yeah, and that's where you come in to, yes. on the next steps, correct? <laughs> yeah. um, so then, uh, obviously, oh, well, not obviously, but you've been, you've been diagnosed. Uh, you do have it. So like, uh, like the doctor said, you will come over now to see you to get the treatment uh, to hopefully make this whole thing go away. And it's obviously always better to catch this early, yes. correct? I mean, like like any cancer, I would suppose. So then when they're in your office, doctor, what are the options then that you present? Yeah. So uh, first of all, when we... Um uh, when we uh, start presenting the treatment or uh, trying to talk to the patient about the treatment, I have to have more data about their tumor mm -hmm. and about their cancer, mainly what is the stage. And there are some blood tests that I have to do. Part of the diagnostic workup that we ask uh, for, or I do it myself if it's not done, is one of the tumor markers, a blood test that we do. Um, it's actually, we call it a marker of inflammation. It is usually um, a, a, an enzyme or a material that is in the blood stream, it goes higher if you have an inflammation in the pancreas or an inflammation in the biliary system in general, and it goes way higher when you have a tumor. The more or the higher the number of that tumor marker, it is called the CA199. 
And there are other other markers for the gastrointestinal tumors um, in general, like CEA. Um, I would like to see the number because the higher the number I see, if I see it in thousands, it means that I have a bulk of tumor there. So it, even if I'm not seeing that bulk, it might be there, and I still cannot see it on just scans or you know on imaging. Um, but I will be looking for it. Right. And then. Um, before I suggest any kind of treatment, I have to know what is the tumor stage in general. Now, um, the tumor stage is important for me to, de to determine what type of treatment I should suggest. The treatments in general that we always talk about is surgery. Does the patient go to surgery? Does the patient need uh, radiation? Or does the patient go for what we call systemic therapy or it's any medications? Medications in general, anything that goes to the bloodstream. Right. And then the, the way we think of pancreatic cancer, it's slightly different than the way we think of other types of cancers. Usually types of cancers, um, solid tumors, we call them, we look at stage one, two, three, and four, and that's how we classify it. Every patient comes in and says, am I stage two or st stage three? Those are like the ones that they just want to know the exact stage. Mm -hmm. And we stage this. It's, uh, it's per our guidelines. We have to, say, to tell the patient that you are stage one or two or three or four. Um, but the more important to me in, in pancreatic cancer is to know, can I, is the tumor small enough to send the patient to surgery. This is the first scenario that I can see is that, oh, you have a tumor that was probably seen on the scan. You did not have any symptoms. We caught it very early. So if I see that the tumor is small, it's still in one area, did not wrap itself uh, around any other uh, important structures mm -hmm. like uh, blood vessels. That's what we're always scared to see the cancer wrapping itself around because if you want to cut around this tumor, you cannot, either you cannot get it all or you're going to injure a blood vessel and cause a bleeding. Right. Uh, so if I have a small tumor, it's not going around anything else, I, I send the patient to surgery and I tell them, you're going to go to surgery or you're going to come back to me. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> Pancreatic cancer is no joke that, oh, right. we got it all by surgery. It means I don't have more. I don't need more treatment. We are always very suspicious and we don't give the benefit of doubt with pancreatic cancer. So we always tell the patient, go to surgery, come back to me. You're going to get chemotherapy. You will get a treatment. Um, and that's m mainly chemotherapy. I will, I will um, elaborate more on this, but you will get a treatment to try kill the cells that we didn't see. And even the pathologist, when they looked at the, the specimen of the tumor under the microscope, they said, oh yeah, you have negative margins, which means that you have free normal, normal uh, tissue and normal cells around the area that they took it from surgery. But there are things that we, they're still way smaller than even the microscope to catch. Right. And that's what we try to work on because we do not want anything to be left behind. And then a year or two later, you, after going through a, a big surgery, and usually those are big surgeries, um, then you have a recurrence of your disease and your disease is back. Well, do you know why, why this type of cancer is so insidious? I mean, why is it seems you, you said it's very, I mean, it's different. It's, 
it, it's, you know, that's why you don't just have the surgery and come back and say you're cured. Do you guys know why that is with this kind of cancer? Yeah, so there are a lot of questions on that, is why pancreatic cancer is like this. But yes, there are a lot of biologic factors to the pancreatic cancer of why it is resistant. First, it's an aggressive cancer. There are cancers that are aggressive and there are cancers that are not, mm-hmm. just in, by, by biology. And the other thing is that the, the way pancreatic cancer spreads, it spreads uh, in a way that it's protecting itself from any treatment to to reach it. So we the the treatments and the research that's actually we have tons of research done on this is that how I can find a treatment that goes inside the pancreatic tissue and try to overcome the layers the pancreatic cancer is is making to itself to you know it's trying to just protect itself yeah. even if you do surgery the pancreatic cancer cell is is too aggressive and if there is if there is only a small way a small tissue there and you gave a regular treatment it might not actually go through and that's what we're trying to overcome. I would tell you there, is, there are a tremendous uh, amount of clinical trials that were done on multiple um, treatments other than just chemotherapy or on more intense chemotherapy. So far, this is the hardest point is to get it to, to get the medication to go inside this um, um, culture that the, 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 the pancreatic cancer made to itself. So um, we try, there are some new medications that they can overcome this layer and just try to go inside the pancreatic tissue and kill it. We have promising data, but it's still not great, not, right. not where we want it to <laughs> Right. <be. laughs> oh, it just, it, it sounds like it has an intelligence yes. that's got to be super frustrating, though, yes. as a doctor, though, yeah. too, right? Definitely. Now, the other scenario that I would look at is that at a patient who comes in with a cancer that spread around, it started to wrap itself around major structures like blood vessels, but it did not, it did not completely go around it. So I would tell the patient that maybe you're going to surgery eventually. Mm-hmm. I want you to go to surgery, but for now, let me try to shrink it a little bit. And the shrinkage comes with chemotherapy or chemotherapy and radiation. So we have to have a discussion and every practice and every physician has to offer you what are the data for chemotherapy only or chemotherapy with radiation. And then according to where the tumor is is um, advancing more, we decide if radiation will be helpful with chemotherapy. And then um, we tell the patient, let's start with our treatment. If it got away from the structures that we are concerned about, then yes, you might be a, a candidate for surgery. But we are very, very careful when we offer this to, to, to send the patient to surgery if we are not sure that it is mm-hmm. safe. A big surgery is no joke. We don't want you to regret having a surgery and then coming back to me to be treated for a cancer right. that already spread. Well, the, the pancreas must be, you know, there are some organs obviously in our body that can be transplanted, that can, parts of it can be removed and it still functions. The pancreas must, it must not be able to do any of that. It, it's, you can't, you can't remove it, correct? You need it. So <clears throat> ideally you don't need, you don't, you should not try to remove a pancreas. Right. But there is certain entities where we actually remove the pancreas and actually there is actually 
something we call total pancreatectomy with islet cell transplant, which is a new kind of technology. Not really new, but it has been there. Really? We haven't got that much of a success. Some people, they get a pancreatic transplant. This is something that is available. It can actually. be done. It can be done oh, for wow. certain kind of diagnosis, certain things, not for cancer diagnosis. We don't, okay. we don't offer pancreatic you know, right. transplant for, for a cancer diagnosis. But certain diseases, we can do a total pancreatectomy and islet cell transplant to avoid getting diabetes if, oh, if we okay. potentially can. That's one of the things that we can do for chronic pancreatitis cases. And, you know, pancreatic transplant for treatment of diabetes is another thing that is kind of going around and we're trying to see if yeah. we can get there. Yeah, and well, now so surgery. We can potentially, but not for cancer. Right. Yeah, and surgery for pancreatic cancer also depends on where the cancer is. Mm -hmm. So we try, uh, it's it's rarely indicated that you have to take the whole pancreas out because um, as, as uh, uh, Dr. Zakaria mentioned that, um, first, um, you, you, you're going to have either a head or neck um, uh, pancreatic tumor, or you might have a body or tail pancreatic tumor. So those are two separate areas that if you have a head uh, of uh, pancreas tumor, you will have to remove just the area of the head of the pancreas. But the problem with it is that it's a big surgery because the head of pancreas shares the, the blood supply with a lot of other Oh. organs around it, like all, uh, uh, other structures. So part of the duodenum, which is part of our small mm -hmm. bowel, and there is part of the liver and the gallbladder, um, they, they have to go out with it because if you are just taking the head of pancreas, you're not leaving, they're gonna be the tissues behind, right? right? So you have to take it as a big structure and that's what we call Whipple procedure. So they, they take part of the pancreas, the rest of the pancreas is still there. Supposed to be functioning, um, the other, if we have the, the other part of the pancreas that has a tumor, which is the pancreatic uh, body or tail, then what we, there is a procedure called distal pancreatectomy that you take the other part of the pancreas, you leave the head of the pancreas, and then sometimes you take the spleen out with it for the same reason, they're very oh close. <laughs> There is now new techniques that you can take it without the spleen, depending on how, how small, like if it's a small cancer, they might be able to save the spleen. Right. But we have a lot of patients who end up being diabetics after their surgeries. Oh, definitely. oh, wow. Um, after hearing all of this, <laughs> I... I just hope someday we evolve and we don't need a pancreas anymore <laughs> somewhere <laughs> down the road. Boy, it's uh, uh, it's it's it, it sounds extremely, um, you know, it's obviously an important organ. It sounds extremely complicated when there's an issue with it. But how I kind of want to wrap this up with both of you is um, I don't want anybody ever to get uh, a pancreatic cancer, but. Boy, am I glad to have met both of you and have you here in Rapid City at Monument Health. You have, I, I don't know, I'll get irrational fears about this stuff like a lot of people do. I think you've wiped one of them out for me. <laughs> you guys have been just incredible to talk with about this. And I'm so glad you're both here and thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. You. Our pleasure. Thank you. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.